0: Hey guys, welcome, Forging the Path, back again, round two, the Zastro Brothers. I'm here with Ethan. We had a deep dive last conversation uh, for us, which was just a little while ago, but for you guys, it's a week ago. Uh, it's been fascinating. I love seeing I love seeing people get uh, transformed. I love seeing people grow. I love seeing change that happens as a result of thinking about God and about big ideas, um, and then trying to put them into real life application. You know, it's one thing to kind of play armchair quarterback and sit back and talk about like, you know, I think this, or I have that idea. It's quite another thing to take those ideas, to take those thoughts, to take those dreams, those prayers, those, whatever you have and actually say, okay, what does this mean for me today? How is this going to change the way I treat my wife? Uh, how's this gonna change the way I am as a father? How's this gonna change the way I am at work? How's this gonna change the way I eat or work out or um, read or write or my hobbies, my crafts, you know? Uh, that's, that's where I really love the practicality of things. So this next session, we're gonna try and go more in those directions. Uh, if you haven't listened to last week, I highly encourage you to do it. It'll give you a good sense of why we're gonna say what we say today uh ethan welcome back again my brother
1: hey good to be here
0: thanks for having me i so love you i so love what uh what god is doing in your life and the way that you're just wrestling with some of these things and exploring these ideas let's get into prayer Uh, you wrote this to me in an email that you have this this four-part prayer and then you're quoting things from the scriptures and so we can you elaborate on what prayer life was for you for those years that you were kind of thinking oh, I'm I'm an atheist or an ag- an agnostic at the very least yeah. I want nothing to do with Christianity or religion I'm imagining there was very little to no prayer
1: life and but but now the last couple years there is can you can you walk us through what that's like yeah you're totally right yeah little to no but every now and then there'd be a blip um I actually haven't told you this I don't think I've even told Chopin this so um when I was uh I, I It's it's a mysterious, um, very low probability thing that happened um, to help me meet and wind up with my beautiful, wonderful wife. In the throes, she's amazing. She is um, in the throes of all of that. uh, I was there was a lot of life upheaval. It was during COVID, during the anecdote I mentioned last last uh, last week as well. And uh, I was a new job. I was moving. I was doing a whole bunch of stuff, and. During all of this change, I was crazy about this girl who happened to live on the other side of the world. <laughs> and I remember I threw out um, a very simple, um, almost half-hearted, but still sincere prayer. I'm like, ah, well, God, hey, if you pull this one off for me, I might just have to reconsider. And everything landed. Everything reconsider came up of house. <laughs> reconsider what? <laughs> I didn't have a, you know, I, I don't even know if I finished that sentence either. I yeah. don't know if I did either. It might have said something like, I'll, "I'll know you're real." reconsider
0: it an existence of yeah, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, um so as as corny as it is, i I actually do feel some responsibility, um mm-hmm. having made that vow, even if it was half-hearted and even if it was said kind of as a joke, like I still said it, and for some reason, my conscience is still holding on to that, yeah. that was the doorway in. Um, everything really did come up the millhouse man, shout out Simpsons fans and so I, I another doorway in is, After a decade, roughly, of just a super gray life, most of it in Chicago, some in Madison, where, like, there were some good highlights. There were some good friends and memories and all that. But, dude, I did not enjoy my life. It was really gray. Um, And now it's very colorful. It's vibrant. And I, I have this immense amount of gratitude that I have to do something with. And I felt compelled to... If nothing else, but in the silence of my own home for one hour a week, like I will meditate on this as a way of saying thanks. Even if I don't know who I'm saying thanks to, I'm saying thanks to that God. Um, I was getting very into Taoism four years ago at the start of my my prayer exercise, and the Taoists, I think, do something very beautiful in that they open the Tao Te Ching. By they, I'm referring to Lao Tzu, the author, but that can be disputed. And in that opening uh, Tao, they're they're kind of like they're like limericks, man. They're, they're they're like it's very short. It's just a bunch of poems. They're very open ended. It's a heck of an exercise to understand what's really going on there. But they open it by essentially introducing the concept of what they term the Tao. They say there is this thing. It's so big, it's so grand, it encapsulates everything. There can be nothing without it. To even give it a name is to already fall short. You've already ruined it. It can't be named. It's indescribable, inexplicable. But since we need a name, we need some sort of vehicle, we'll call it the Tao. And to very this is kind of a this isn't in the Tao Jing, but you can think of Taoism as like a, a surfing exercise. You don't know what life is going to throw at you. You don't know what wave you're going to get but live in harmony with that wave and kind of bow to the Tao, in a sense. Um, Now, that's not to sell Taoism, but it was to say there's a way of interacting with God, even if I don't have a definition of what I think God is quite yet. This was four years ago. I was still wrestling with this. This was my foray back into Christianity. I was very skeptical. And when I picked up the Bible, I started with the most accessible books, Proverbs, for example. Um, Since then, I've found prayer so rewarding. Mm. What it looks like now is I, I give it one hour a week. Mm-hmm. I do it on Sunday mornings because Sunday f- feels appropriate. Mm-hmm. And uh, before anyone else wakes up, I'll, I'll go down to some private room and I just want to echo as a little tangent what kevin said on a recent episode say it out loud man if i'm in my own head i'm just distracted i can't keep my own thoughts for 10 seconds like i gotta say it out loud even back in my christian days when i would do um prayer sessions it's got to be out loud Um, absolutely underscore that anyone hasn't tried that go do it you'll feel crazy and then you won't and you'll find wow i can keep all of this cogently together um, and what I found was I, I kind of asked myself like what what do I want out of this what do I need to give from this, and um, I it, I kind of landed on there are four main things I hadn't heard the acronym on the this is relevant because the prayer episode dropped yeah, Pastor recently. Pastor Kevin talked about act. I, I think, hadn't heard that before.
0: I've also heard pray That's as an good, acronym. Eh? So yeah, do you want do you remember the ACTS? I don't. You list,
1: list them out in case anyone missed that episode. I think What's it was, I think it was
0: adoration, uh, confession thanksgiving supplication so Beautiful. that's a really nice you know prayer 101 say it out loud yeah shout out to kevin yep and begin adoration confession thanksgiving then supplication a fancy word for you know asking what what you need i've also heard pray which is um praise uh repent ask yield Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And yield is the is the the last like letting go like your will be done, yeah. um, so those those both are helpful to me as I'm teaching, especially maybe brand new Christians. Uh, how do how do I do this? How do I how do I pray? I'm not comfortable with it, and I don't know where to begin.
1: So continue. Yeah. You, you have your own little outline here. It's I mean it's basically X. I didn't think about it, but um, yeah, the first one I had was. Like what do I know? What do I know for sure? Here is good, and I'm like, well, gratitude. I I know gratitude is right. Whatever mm-hmm. the whatever the question, gratitude is the answer. So I was I was thinking like, what's what's a verse I can cling on to? Because I found if if. Rather, the better way to say it is: as I came up with these concepts, the scriptures leaped out to me. Quite honestly, and so I was drawn to uh, Psalm 100. If any other, uh, you know, Christian boys out there grew up to, you know, banging to to David Crowder, you'll recognize the joyful noise <laughs> verse. <laughs> yeah. But also in that verse is the this phrase: "Enter his gates with thanksgiving." City gates were essentially walls, so you can picture a king parade, well, maybe not a king, but any any visitor, maybe a merchant, walking into this huge city and almost like a buffoon saying thank you thank you thank you thank you like the before he even gets to the point where he could probably be audibly heard he's approaching the city gates with thanksgiving it's Mm -hmm. it's quite it's a a heck of an image um and it's one that sticks with me so i start with thanksgiving i set a one hour timer by the way and i just move through these at my own pace um second one uh, this verse, this is essentially uh, confession and repentance tied together. And the verse was, have mercy on me, the sinner. I, I went to a uh, to, uh uh church at St Josephat on the south side here and the priest he he actually mentioned so the translation is usually have mercy on me a sinner he he made an argument that you could actually interpret this as have mercy on me the sinner mm-hmm. i like that even better because that too is a burden of consciousness somehow some way we're all complicit in this this is this is the old adam and it's not fair and it's not just but we have to contend with that because we can't help but be possessed by various gods lowercase g if you're wondering but in that jungian sense like y- you're not perfect even even the nihilistic atheist would recommend like wow i've got human limitations let's say um, and i think meditating on the things you've done wrong and i'm now at a point where you know as a as a 17 or 18 year old christian it was really hard for me to be like man i'm just I'm just such a bad guy. I just really need a savior. It was. It was I'll just be honest. Yeah. It was like let's be real. I didn't do anything. Like, yeah, I got good grades and like you know did my chores on time. What, yeah, you. you what were, are we talking you, about? You were, you were Mr. High School, man. Yeah, yeah.
0: I can understand. Like, sure. Perfect grade point average. Popular. You know, were you the prom king? You know, awesome athlete. Yeah. Well, how? I'm
1: a. I'm a sinner. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't deserve things that I right. get? Like, what? No. And, and there's a way to... Uh, you can undress Christianity here. You can be brutal with it. And, and you can say, you know, a good father takes his son home from the hospital... It's a little infant baby. It can't help but not move. He sets it in the middle of the street, and he says, well, if you come to me, I'll take you in and be a loving father. Oh, but there's a semi coming, so you better act by the time you die. You know, like, Mm. that's a real metaphor that I would contend with as a Christian and as an atheist, and it's still an open-ended question. I think all of that is logical. But where I'm at now is that is right, but it's not the only right. And I think this goes back to... Well, Cain and Abel would be a good example. I think mm-hmm. Cain is actually right. If you read the text, um kinda seems unwarranted that he's just gonna go get cursed. <laughs> you know, like right. you know what I like that, that you're offer? saying that
0: yeah. If you really just read the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis, it's not explicit. Uh, what is it for? Genesis four or something like that. Sounds right. Um <laughs> sorry if we're wrong. So Genesis four, maybe three, four, five. Cain is for me, he's a little more relatable. I'll just say it that way. Yeah. I don't, you know, I presume to have definitions of who's right and who's wrong, but uh and I think that's how the sp- story is actually supposed to hit us. Yeah. You're, the reader is supposed to be like, well, Cain doesn't seem like that bad, like what, huh? Yep. And not that Abel seems like a bad guy either, but it, it, it's a story that I think we've made very Sunday school. And yeah. Well, it's very clear here Cain was evil and we move on. But, actually pause and you're like, wait a minute, I I can relate to Cain. Yes. Can you relate
1: to Cain? In what ways can you relate to Cain? Oh, of course, because it's not fair. None of us has to be here. You know, like I lambasted liberalism in the last episode, but it's also right. It's also right. Like None of us asked to be here. you got to like sit and steep on that for maybe your whole lifetime. Yeah. What do we do with that? And that's exactly the question. And that's, that's the question of religion. How do you answer that question? Sure. This miserable, confusing tragedy. What do you do here? And one answer is to say, damn, I didn't deserve this. And you're yeah. right. You're right. Another answer is to say, I don't know, <laughs> but... Yeah. How do you fill that in? Well, you can also look at the good things you have in
0: life, including the oxygen in your lungs and say, damn, yeah. I didn't deserve this. Yep. You earned your next breath. Excuse me, sir. Like a lot of us feel pretty entitled. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, yeah. So you can play that both ways. I, yeah, I agree. You can play it the atheistic, nihilistic way. Like, oh, I didn't ask to be created. You can also look at life as this grand gift and adventure, yes with some suffering and pain in it, but there is beauty to be seen, like the tr- the three Greek virtues we mm-hmm. mentioned last episode, and you could say, well, I don't deserve that either. Like what Hold on a second. Um the story of Cain and Abel, however, it Cain seems to have done what God asked. Yep. Right? But the Lord looks more favorably on Abel's offering and not so much at Cain it's it's kind of like Cain obeyed the the letter of the command but Abel much more wholeheartedly obeyed the spirit of the command right to bring the offering but it's not like well did Cain commit some egregious offensive thing it doesn't seem like it on the surface no. yet why was God not pleased with his offering and why did Cain get
1: so bitter right well and that 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 bitterness is the point right because You can you can maybe question Kane's initial response, but you definitely can't question his subsequent response. How did he react when God, God reacted the way he did? Yeah. That's where you say, well, okay, that's your choice. Do you want to do that? You once quipped to me that uh, you know, superheroes and villains have the same origin story. So what is that deciding agent that says, yeah. I'm going to be a hero or I'm going to be a villain? You want to riff on that for a second? Yeah.
0: Oh, no, that, I stole that from somebody else. Oh, I forget who I heard that from, but it's not my own idea. Um, heard it about a year ago. Someone saying, basically, oh, this might be Donald Miller. If you guys look up Donald, he's, he's now got a lot of business coaching stuff to say, marketing stuff, but he, 20 years ago, maybe wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz, which was a pretty good read. Uh, Donald Miller noticed that um, villains and heroes have the same origin story. It starts with something tragic happening in their childhood, something that they didn't ask for, something that they really didn't deserve, if you can say it that way, um, how they deal with the pain. Determines whether they will become the hero or the villain.
1: And you see this uh, in the wisdom, the so-called wisdom literature. You see Proverbs Proverbs, as a book of karma, Ecclesiastes and Job. Job. The three wisdom books. Question mark on Job, but I think I get it now. So Proverbs is saying karma: do good things, good things happen to you. These are these are the habits you should form, and life will go well for you. Mm. You're going to have things better than riches, but honestly, you'll probably get some riches too. And an awesome book, timeless. Super accessible. Yeah. Then you get the fun one. Then you get Ecclesiastes. Ah, Ecclesiastes yeah. is the B-side. It says, well, actually, no, good things happen to bad people all the time and vice versa. Yep. The race is not to the swift. The battle, not to the strong. Time and circumstance happen to them all. And you see this man. There's nothing under the sun. No meaning to be found, right? Grasping for the vapor. And you can see it. That this too is consciousness. You can see the vapor. Oh. And it goes right through your hand. What other animal is tortured like that? It's bananas, man. Mm-hmm. That is to have a soul. So at the end of Ecclesiastes, and it, it, there's some really fun art in Ecclesiastes that I still don't fully get, and I never will because of the language and the time and the culture. But what I do know is that the author does an interesting uh, device here where he actually separates himself and he, call- he, he invents this character, the critic, who does most of the talking for him. Yep. At the end of the resolution, a dope verse um, Follow the Lord and keep his commands. After all this musing, and and if it's a safe assumption that the primary author of Proverbs is also the same author of all of this, condensing it, saying, well, throwing up his hands and saying, fear God and keep his commands. that's a heck of a a way to end that. And then there's this mysterious edition of Job. Some argue that it's one of the earliest books in the biblical canon. I think it is. But in fact, they organized it in the catalog right after these two. And I I think I finally get it now because you see both Proverbs and Ecclesiastes in the life of Job. You see part A, karma, he's blessed, rich man. Mm -hmm. And then that comes back around later. But first he has to go through Ecclesiastes. Mm -hmm. And his answer has to be fear God and keep his commands. Yeah. So it's all allegorized there. Um, so anyways, the second part of my prayer is acknowledging all of this and choosing to say, have mercy on me, the sinner. This is a famous orthodox meditation. People will do this and they'll do some breath work into it. We might touch on meditation at the end of this episode, but um, they incorporate breath work into this this recitation over and over. Lord, have mercy on Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, the sinner. Yes. Um, so I, I meditate on that because at this age, well, I I'm sure I had stuff to... Uh, You know, need forgiveness for as a 17-year-old, I definitely have stuff to need forgiveness for now. (laughs) So it's much easier to see all of my embarrassing shortcomings, these these shadow moments that could cut me to my core because I can't even face them in their entirety. So it's a lot easier. So maybe a a monkey's paw blessing to any young Christians like me. Don't worry, the prayer for forgiveness will get much more real in time. Just wait, you'll mess up. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I, I need that. And I think we as a species need that on an ontological level as we zoom out to realize, yes, we're complicit in this and the choice of how you view that is yours. You can say, That's not fair, I don't deserve it, and you're right. Or you can take up the burden and say, I choose accountability. Let me let me parlay this into the blessing of Judah. I've been I've been rocking on the <laughs> blessing of Judah. I want to get your thoughts on this. Sure. All right, so the Messianic Davidic line runs through Judah. Why? He's not the firstborn. He's not the lastborn either. Often we see the blessing either go to the firstborn or paradoxically to the lastborn, right? Even in the patriarchs, even in, in uh Joseph's sons, we see this. The the switching of the blessing, Esau, we see the same thing with Ephraim and Manasseh, but usually it's the firstborn. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. it's not it's not Reuben. Um and you know, I think the, the, the Christians and the Jews will hypothesize that, maybe the Muslims too for that matter, that Reuben disqualified himself by sleeping with Bilha, his father's handmaid. Going into his father's bed. Yep. That's, hey, that makes sense to me. But it's not explicitly stated he's just cursed on Jacob's deathbed. Mm-hmm. We can assume that's why. Maybe that's wrong. Next, we get Simeon and Levi. They take vengeance on whatever his name was, Shemech or something in the land of Canaan <laughs> after uh, after he and his sons or whatever rape uh, Dinah, the, the the sister in the bunch. So Simeon and Levi go in and they take vengeance on uh, Dinah after Israel had already made a covenant. So now he's got to flee again. Uh, kids, why'd you do that? I had this sorted out. We, we used diplomacy and you went and, you know, hacked them all to death on the third day of their circumcision. Brutal. Sure. All right. Yeah. And then there's Judah and there's a whole chapter right around this time in Genesis where Judah messes up as bad or worse than all of them by sleeping with his daughter-in-law, Tamar, Mm -hmm. and then covering it up and throwing the accusation on her of being a harlot. But she one-ups him by sneakily stealing his staff. Yeah. And, And, oh, he gets called on it. He does one interesting thing first he fesses up to it. After he's called on it, he says, you're right, this woman is more righteous
0: than me. Who does that sound like? Who else does that sound like in the Old Testament? To me, that sounds very much like David.
1: Yeah. Ooh, yes. David Nathan, messed
0: up a lot.
1: Nathan calls him out and he a goes, lot. oh, you got me.
0: One one of the redeeming factors about guys who are very imperfect in Scripture, you can see, you could argue, you know, Peter is like this as well with his, his denial of Christ. Um, they when they're confronted with it they run to the lord and and they don't entrench themselves and defend themselves in their in their actions humble repentant contrite you know and god loves that stuff so i i would maybe argue that not that there's a reason the the blessing is always always undeserved the blessing Mm -hmm. always starts with a good god blessing someone who is not perfect yeah. A perfect god blessing something so we need to always start there. It's a little glimpse of the gospel, but I think if there's if you want to look at like something in Judah's life that is uh, maybe kind of sort of like a a reason that he was a little bit set apart from the brothers. At least Reuben and Simeon and Levi, it was because when he's confronted with his ish he goes into a place of you're more righteous than I. Yeah. I you're I screwed up and he owns it. Right? Extreme yes. ownership. It gets
1: better too. He owns it. Because when you fast forward in his story, his. His interplay with Joseph shows the same thing. Yep. And you even had the word I, I wrote down in my notes. You beat me to it. Ownership. It's not just confession. It's ownership. And he does both with Joseph. So the brothers are plotting against Joseph, and Reuben, to his credit, says, No, no, no. Let's not kill him. Let's throw him in the pit because he thinks he'll come out and save him later. Mm-hmm. But the brothers keep their you know conniving plans before Judah can even or, uh, Reuben can even get back and save him. So tough luck, Judah. You had good intentions, it seems. Okay. All right. So then the brothers throw him in the pit, and then Judah has the idea to, well, we can sell him to the merchants or whatever. Let's not kill him. Yeah. Okay. Them. So I don't know whether to give him credit or not there. Let's call mm, it neutral. Yeah, yeah. Let's call it neutral maybe. Um, but after the whole uh, famine goes, they go to Egypt. They encounter Joseph. Judah doesn't recognize him. Joseph's tricking them, playing mind games on them. So essentially tricks them into bringing them back with Benjamin. Um, what happens when Benjamin's cup is found and they're called out on it? Judah promised to Jacob I'm going to be collateral for Benjamin, your last son from your favorite wife. One, takes ownership with with Israel. Then he goes back to Joseph. When they're called on it, he reiterates it. He says, no, I'm collateral. I own this. I speak for him. You will punish your servant, meaning himself, not the lad, meaning Benjamin. Three, he sort of, I don't want to give him full credit for this, but he mentions they have a dead brother. Mm. If you want to be generous, you can count this as a confession as well. Mm-hmm. He owns it with Israel. He owns it with Joseph. He puts himself as the sacrifice, yep. little Christophany action there. And then he also confesses to, actually, we also have a dead brother too. Yeah. This is what breaks Joseph, drops to his knees. My brothers, it's me. Yeah. Boom. and. It doesn't say this in the text. Jacob doesn't say this is why he gets blessed. We don't know if that's why the line of Judah is the Davidic line. But uh, there you go. I find it interesting that Judah did some of those things, despite his awful interactions, too, that would have presumably disqualified him. So for all of those reasons, my second part is, have mercy on me, the sinner. Yeah, <laughs> wow. The, the last two will be much quicker. Uh, you want to say anything about that before no, I No,
0: that's really insightful. It, it just I, lo- I love the... I, I love Genesis 49 when, when you see J- Jacob, um, Israel, <laughs> a.k.a. J- Israel, Jacob blessing his sons. And it's what's interesting to me is, I don't think you said he curses Simeon and Levi. My pushback would be, he says, cursed be their anger, for it is fierce.
1: Oh, that's interesting. So we, you know, we oftentimes huh. like to,
0: oh, he cursed Reuben. Like, yeah. actually, there's no curse of Reuben. Right. He chastises him. And he says nothing about him carrying the kingly line. Yeah. Okay. And he actually says, my might, the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power. That's Reuben. That's right. But that not is, the that kingly is, line. That's, that's a a almost a blessing. It is. Right? That is. And he kind of does the same thing with Simeon and Levi, but he got right. he does bring a curse. He says, curse be their anger. Okay. Their wrath. It is cruel. So he curses the thing in them that isn't healthy and right and good. Yeah. And I... I I think there's there's a lesson in that, too. I mean, Hebrews 12 talks about, and Hebrews is a great book in the New Testament that talks a lot about the Old Testament. He talks about, you know, the Lord's discipline. God disciplines the ones He loves. Yeah. Right? He's not cursing us. He's disciplining us. And He's cursing the things in us that keep us from becoming the kind of people He wants us to become. But... Uh, yeah, so even in that, there's a little bit of a doggy head tilt, like, wait a minute, uh, he didn't curse them, he cursed their sin. Yeah. And then, you're right, he does give an extra long blessing to Judah. Um, yeah. Again, I would say, number one, because he's God's good, and he always chooses surprising people to do surprising things. Let's start there. You know, Why did God choose Abraham? Because God chose Abraham, because God's God. Because, you know, Abraham wasn't the richest, smartest, strongest, kindest person best guy in the world or even in the ancient Near East, not by a long shot. God just chooses unexpected people. That's who God is. That's what God does. Um, secondly, you know, you could look at Judah's life and say, hey, there's that extreme ownership inside of him that makes uh, a humble and contrite, really appealing to the Lord. But continue on with your prayer points.
1: Yeah, man. Third point is uh, Mark. Outstanding verse. Outstanding, outstanding verse. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. This is the epileptic man's father um, when Jesus is going around on uh, his, his first miracle tour in Mark. And uh, I, can't, I, I can't help but be fixated on on that. Help my unbelief. Because he no. doesn't even know what he believes. It, it, you, can, you can safely assume. <laughs> right? Well, what a statement. It's so short. It's just a few words. And that's exactly where I'm at that's exactly where I'm at I, you ask me what I believe I don't know I'll talk for hours on weird Jungian symbols but like you, you ask me to like no write like a two sentence summary of what I believe I can't I don't know I don't know but I believe in I believe in the unseen I believe in the spiritual unconscious realm I believe there are things that, that are living in ways that we don't define life that are bigger than me that know me inside and out and that ultimately comprise infinity if you stack them on top of each other mm. call it a creator if you'd like call it the alpha omega call it infinity call it the universe I call it God and i am small in the face of it and so i say help my unbelief because i truly don't know the path here cool but i find that exercise immensely rewarding and i don't think it falls on deaf ears the fourth one is supplications and blessings so i mean that i don't have a scripture verse for this but you could take any epistle and just take either the the opening statement or the closing statement and there you have it so yeah. and that is a that's a reminder to i find that calling people to mind in prayer like it puts a spotlight on me like dude have i even texted them like what i'm gonna sit and like think about them in the dark here with Uh. a candle (laughs) and i'm gonna be like hey how are they doing Nah, that's too much work for me so i hope that it it kind of inspires me to actually do something about it but i for what it's worth, yeah. I, I'm not only leaving the door open. If I had to throw my belief in a bucket, I would actually say it does matter, too. It matters on this weird metaphysical realm that I do call people to mind and that I do have a loving-kindness meditation in my heart for them. I also think it will impact my actions towards them as well. Both and, yeah. Yep. I like that. So the 4 part prayer from
0: Ethan. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Have mercy on me, the sinner. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief, and then supplications, requests, blessings, things like that. And I like the practical touch on, like, hey, if if they come to mind, if God puts them on your heart or mind, like, make a note and text them afterward, too. Yeah, 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 pray for them. Awesome. Very powerful. But then, practically speaking, you know, write yourself a note, text yourself a note, whatever, and reach out to them uh, that day or that week. Um, That's beautiful, man. Um, you want to jump into fitness or did you have anything else there that you wanted to tie in with the, the four part prayer and just the practice of prayer? I think it's really fascinating that here we have this guy who's not really Christian. He's not you're not really something else nah. either, but you are you are a theist ish. If I could say yeah. like you definitely believe in God and you're praying from what I can tell mostly things from the Christian Jewish scriptures. So yeah. that, that's that's really cool. And I think some good tips for any listeners out there on kind of how to pray.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, fitness sounds great. I think I'll just tie in that that you can have these, these Schrodinger-esque perspectives. You can be a villain. You can be a hero. I think you can be both right. What kind of right do you want to be? Mm-hmm. Sometime, maybe a future episode, I'd love to go through Numbers 11 with you. Because I think the way a Christian answers that is, it ties into all of this, and it, it it shapes your philosophy. How do you answer these things? Do you what is, live, what's uh, numbers eleven? It's uh, so the you might recall that Jesus says, you know. What father among you, if your son asks for a blank, will give him a blank. You know? He's yeah, yeah. like a, a bread, stone, a fish, S- snake, snake, something yeah. scorpion.
0: If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children when they ask, how much more will your heavenly Father give you good gifts? Or you know, Luke might even say, give you the Holy Spirit when you ask. So yeah, Jesus, okay, so that's what he said. He's quoting something from Numbers
1: 11? No, because oh. number 11, the exact opposite happens. Numbers 11, the people in the desert are groaning for food. They want quail, they want meat. And God says, ha ha, I'm going to give you so much, you die and it crawls out your nose. And then it happens. <laughs> so, ah, you got to wrestle with that. How do
0: you answer that?
1: Yeah, and I think that ties in too, because do you take the point of view of Cain, or do you find a way to take the point of view of... Well, I guess Judah, maybe, you know, yeah. um, or, or maybe some other character we could pick from a different story. But you get the idea. The, the villain is often justified. The hero can do something even more powerful and beautiful. Yeah. So. Yeah. I the think awesome. it. I think we'll talk about that later. But I do think you mentioned
0: they're grumbling and complaining, and I think there's a difference in our approach with our requests. Uh, grumbling and complaining, like God, you owe me something. What gives? Uh, is very different than supplication, humble requests of, Lord, you know, I, I'm coming to you deserving of nothing and I'm asking because I know you're good. You know, whose goodness and deserving deservedness are you basing your requests on? Your own? Well, then, yeah, then you're gonna then you're gonna die, I would say. Maybe not right there on the spot, sometimes. God's goodness? Like, then, then you have a chance at life. So, so let's talk a little bit about fitness.
1: Oh, let's do it. Yeah. Well, um, hey, any if your if your guests are any indication, I'm imagining some of your your audience is probably um, a Christian father with a few kids. So, what I would give as a piece of advice, if I could, with regard to health, is make them love something active as a kid. Your habits in your formative years, uh, I I learn every day how thankful I am for the habits I both made and didn't make as a teenager. And one habit that I did make was running. And it was just last night, in fact. I was chatting with my wife about this. Like, I had no idea until just about last night. I caught a little glimpse of the spiritual health I received from distance running. And you could could swap distance running for tennis, whatever your thing is, but find a thing, you know? Um, Because you're going to find that your kids are going to stick with that through. life I can't quit running if I tried, and I have tried. I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> You're hooked. I'm hooked, man. I'm hooked. Yeah, yeah and yeah, it, yeah. it's to the point. Where, you know, Young has a phrase of uh, being be aware of unearned wisdom. Um, and I would say, be aware of unearned body odor. If I go to bed smelly and I didn't work out that day, like I just, I feel awful about myself. Yeah. I got to go earn that. Um, and, and I feel so much better. So, I mean, like, look, you've already had guests talk about good health regimens and I'm not here to you know reinvent any wheels. But I'll just say a few things that um, health is priceless. Uh, the most rich, wealthy, affluent, successful person in the world on their deathbed would trade it all for more time health is time work on that time value it understand that you're investing in something that actually is priceless yeah Exercise is a panacea. There's not a drug we can concoct that will come close to all the health benefits of simple exercise. Um, there's really not Peter Atia if you're into the like YouTube bro science, like Huberman sphere, as I as definitely- I love definitely. Huberman. Oh, yeah, sure. Huberman lab, yeah. Yeah, so Attia is, is a longevity guy and he's, he's designed a bunch of workouts. You can hear him on every podcast you'd like, but he has all these, these, uh, these data about how many hundreds of times more good for you Exercises than any pill you can buy, and you That's can right. make a lot of pills out That's there. That's right. Yeah. Next, and this is what I'd actually like to talk a little bit more about. Um, I'm hooked on fasting, man.
0: Fasting. Fasting. Fasting as a spiritual exercise
1: and fasting as
0: a health benefit.
1: It's both well, and. Surprisingly, no. No. Even as a Christian, I never got, I never found the, like, any sort of spiritual uptick from fasting. It might be a knee problem. Yeah. I came back to it purely for health reasons and mental health reasons too, but I have not found it a particularly spiritual exercise, but I am hooked on it. Mm-hmm. Do you want to speak about uh, a spiritual aspect for you and I can round out what it means for me?
0: No, you go first.
1: That's, okay. Uh, we, we got, I, since this is
0: a podcast I am on most of the time, I can, <laughs> I can circle back anytime and, and address it
1: from uh, from a different angle, but yeah, go ahead. You, sure, you've gotten
0: into fasting. You've noticed some health benefits.
1: Yeah. So as a as a Christian, I did it because you're supposed to. You know, that was about it. You know, you go to the Christian conference, you go to church, and you find the people who are really all about it, and, and they're fasting, and you're like, oh, I better do that too. Yeah. You know, you know, like all the cool stuff happens, especially in the Old Testament, we people fast. So here we go. Um, yeah. But. uh So I just did it, and I remember hearing in those circles at the time that, hey, you know, this is actually really good for you too. But I never heard anything beyond that. Yeah, it's
0: commanded in both testaments. I'll just, I'll just preface that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Who fasted? Interesting. I mean, Jesus, of course. Yeah, uh, Peter
0: did. Yeah, um, you could read between the lines. Like Paul spent three years in Arabia. You have to believe he probably (laughs) fasted a time or two or three. Um, You also can look at the Didache, which is a really Fantastic First century, um, extra biblical source that they use for discipleship of early Christians. They gave instructions on baptism, all sorts of, and they, Mm -hmm. in the Didache, they commanded. I mean, they they were very direct. These early church fathers Mm -hmm. had no, the first three centuries, they had no problem talking like the apostles. Do this, don't do that. Um, We're too nice now, I think. Anyway, they said, you're going to fast two days a week, but let's fast on different days than the Pharisees. (laughs) <laughs> and I can't remember exactly what days, but it was really, because they're like, well, let's not be confused here. Yep. Um, in Acts, it talks about a number of Pharisees getting saved. Paul is a predominant Pharisee that got saved and went to become a Christian. But yeah, Pharisees fasted twice a week, and they wore it as a badge of honor. So the early Christians said, we're also going to fast twice a week. We're not going to get proud about it, and we're going to pick two different days of the week. <laughs> nice. But they commanded their early converts to fast yeah. twice a week. Um, I, I would, I would argue that even back then, although they, they probably talked more about the spiritual component of it, even they would have admitted there's, it's healthy. It's, it's just, it, people who fast regularly to some degree are generally going to be healthier. So why and why don't you tell yeah. us what you've noticed for your
1: physical Oh, man. Health. So I've gone down hours and hours of YouTube rabbit holes from, from various doctors on YouTube, or at least people claiming to be doctors, who knows, but um, yeah. talking about what's actually going on in your body when you deprive it of food. That's right. And sometimes water for certain amounts of time. And um, what I've landed on is a three-day fast, 72-hour, because that seems to be the sweet spot for getting a bunch of benefits I'll go into in a minute, while also minimizing or at least mitigating how much muscle loss you're going to have Um, because obviously you you, your body's going to start consuming itself at that point which is very good at about the 72 hour mark it starts also consuming muscle so if you're going for gains yeah fasting is not going to help it's going to hurt it just is Um, but if you throw it in on some sort of regular basis i i would highly recommend it i'm to the point now where i view three things as not optional sleep exercise and now fasting there's a there's a fourth I'll call meditation that I, I do list as optional but that's kind of my health regimen so what happens uh, I'll just give out two highlights when you hit the uh, 24 to 48 hour fast mark you produce your brain uh, produces this thing called BDNF uh, brain derived neurotropic factor and if you're struggling with depression for example you're actually going to see an uptick at least on a chemical level of more happy chemicals you're I, I can't go so far as to say it's neurogenesis because I don't know what I' Talking about. And I haven't <laughs> heard someone say that because you always say you can't repair damaged brain cells, right. but you can produce more BDNF, which seems to be adding soldiers to the good side of the army. That's right. Um, when you hit that third day, that 72 hour, that's when you get some autophagy. So autophagy happens instantly, but it it kind of just accelerates the more and more you do it. You really can't get enough of it. Autophagy is when your body does that. It eats itself. When you're out of, first it'll go for food, it'll go for carbs, it'll go for glucogen, it'll go for all this stuff, glucose to repair the glucagen. Um, and when you remove the food, your body's confused. And it's like, wait, 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 I still need to go get something. So it goes first very smartly for all the garbage in your body. It That's takes right. out your damaged tissues first and it turns that into energy to keep you going. And you, you get a huge boost in that specifically at day two to three. And that's why that third day is so impactful. Autophagy also happens in in your sleep. It happens when you exercise too. And all of these things are essentially reducing inflammation. Um, They're also tied to that, which is, of course, essentially the panacea against cancer. You want to reduce inflammation, meditation too, for that matter. Um, But yeah, that autophagy, I'm all about it. Um, You also get, interestingly with autophagy, this stem cell growth. Stem cells are these miraculous cells that can do all sorts of things across their body. They're like the Swiss army knife. um and they really help your immune system too it's going to regenerate your immune system one thing i can say since doing let's say one to three day fasts on at least a monthly basis for about the last year and a half i haven't been sick in a year and a half since i started Uh, could just be a coincidence we'll see winter's not over yet but um Interesting, because in 2021 and 22, I was quite sick many times a year since I started what, the like fasting. Cold, cold flu and stuff? Sore throats, man. I got so many really wicked sore throats. Sore throats. Yeah. Huh. And nothing since I started the fasting. We'll see if it continues. Okay, so tell us I how long.
0: It. Yeah, tell, tell our audience how long you would do a three-day fast. I'm sorry. How long? <laughs> how often would you do a three-day fast?
1: This year, I committed to one a month, roughly. I'm trying to time it with the lunar cycle. That's actually
0: good. Okay, cool. Good. Uh, it's funny. I know some Christian circles and ministries and missionary schools that do a once-a-month three-day fast. There you go, That's uh, awesome. Okay. Uh, how often would you do a fast, uh, more like an intermittent fast, a 24-hour a or less? I think I think what I've read from a lot of people on the health side of things, um, which is interesting because I just mentioned the Didache, they recommend once or twice a week an 18- to 24-hour fast. Hmm. Nice. For health reasons. Nice. Right? And then I'm like, hey, two thousand years ago these dudes wrote a book of uh, a Didique about fasting twice a week and there's spiritual benefits there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, wow. Well, coincidence, maybe not. That's good. That's <laughs> so good. how often would you do a shorter fast?
1: You know, that's I, I did a lot of intermittent fasting a few years ago and I was doing essentially sixteen eight. Yep. So but okay. um I've I've gotten Sixteen a little...
0: hours fasting, eight eight yep. hour eating window, and yep. you you did that every day?
1: Yep. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm mm. I'm a bit more tepid on things, and I just skip breakfast. So lunch is whenever I have a break and calls at work.
0: <laughs> Got it. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I like to um, personally. I, I do it for both spiritual and physical. When I'm when I'm on my game, when I'm intentional about it, twice a week I will do a, a like an 18 to 24 hour fast. Nice. Yeah, and then I have I probably. Once or twice a year, we'll do a longer fast nice. when I'm intentional about it, and I've noticed I've noticed some health benefits. Yes, I've also noticed uh, what it does for me. We got to be careful with saying spiritual benefits. I'll just share with the audience what it's done for me: is uh, when my stomach grumbles, when my head gets light, and I'm like, "Oh man, I'm I'm hungry." Uh, my it it's trained my mind, my knee jerk reaction to pray so that that's you know or or my 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 patience is shortened because i'm hung i'm hangry Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and so then i have to i have to take a breath and be like okay my my kid just wants to spend some time with me watch them do their dance routine or something i can't be impatient with that i really need help here lord like because i just want to i just want to sit down and blank out for a while because i'm fasting i'm hungry and grumpy uh that's it it's Spiritual benefits is like, it makes my neediness right here, an inch in front of my face. And that makes me want to pray more and depend on God more and not my own strength. So that's what fasting does for me spiritually. It doesn't give me visions and revelations and tongues and all sorts of the gift of this or that or the other thing. Uh, Sometimes we romanticize things like, what will fasting do for you? It will make you hungry. Yeah, That's what it will do. (laughs) Well, where's the benefit of that? Well, in a comfy, convenient, cozy, cushy culture where we have restaurants on every corner and food in every pantry, it will stir up an appetite within you that can relate to your spiritual life with the Lord. Like, yeah. get rid of things that make life easy and willingly make life a little harder. It, uh, it might make you pray more. Instead of going and eat lunch, grab your Bible and your journal and steal away for 20 minutes. Yeah. You know, like that's that's what fasting should be doing for us when we do it. Um, you can fast from other things too, but we're talking mostly about food. So Ethan, uh, tell us, because uh, I want to kind of land the plane here for this episode. Yeah. Can you... Can you share, you have this section called Advice to Fathers and Blessings to Christians.
1: I do, I do, yeah. So first, I wanna—I just want to say thank you for welcoming me on the podcast. Big fan. It's a total pleasure and privilege to be here. Um, and I want to say a few things to some of your listeners who uh, probably are not in my theological camp right now. <laughs> and I want to say that... Well, actually, I want to ask you a question here. Shoot. And it, it it's... It's based on this premise. I feel like I have found a pattern in these stories. These these symbols are ridiculously powerful in scripture, and I didn't even recognize how powerful they were until I wasn't a Christian, which is curious. I see in them a pattern that cracks the conscious barrier. And in that pattern, I find what I will call God but it's something indescribable and inexplicable and I'll say holy. And in that workflow you find your story let's let's call them facts if we want to you've got your logical consciousness working there underneath that you've got this pattern this mysterious code that I see over and over again even I mean you can mention we mentioned fractals. We could mention um, Fibonacci sequence, the pattern truly of the universe, the way the trees grow, the way our blood vessels move. It's all yeah. patterned. We yeah. are code. DNA is code. Francis Crick saw the double helix in a dream, by the way, before he uncovered it. He knew what he was looking for. Curious things. Plato had a diamond that spoke to him. Um, Descartes, the inventor of uh, coordinate geometry, said he would have visions and dreams and was inspired by the math he was inventing. Curious things going on. Um, <laughs> In this pattern is where you find God, and what I want to do is, I here here's a here's a question for you, Adam. Uh, if belief, let's say, is a spectrum, and if you know something, that's a hundred percent. You don't really believe it; it's a fact. You saw this eraser drop. Boom! There it went. You know that happened. Yeah. If I were to ask you. On the Last Supper, Thursday night before Jesus' crucifixion, Adam, do you know that the apostles followed a man with a pitcher of water into an upper room? And do you know, do you know that in this place there was a meal that happened and their names are such and such and this happened? Now, I'm putting you on the spot here. I'm thinking you're going to say, no, but I believe it. It's a matter of faith, but you'll put it in your own words. Am I right?
0: Yeah, Yeah. I I, I think on the surface i i'd agree with you yeah i believe that i wasn't there to see it as evidence that uh like fact that i know yeah firsthand but i believe it based on a number of different things you know yeah. The historical validity of the scriptures. There's evidence. My, my personal experience, life transformation, you know, the existential view that I have of things. Uh, yeah. So I, I would say there's enough evidence for me to say I wholeheartedly believe. I can, I can sit in that with the weight of my life and, and and believe it. But what you're saying, like, no, like, were you there to observe it? No. Right. Yeah.
1: I, I, I can, I'm tracking with you. Adam, do you know that when you are up against all the odds of life, even when you don't deserve them, and you are marching to your own death without any justification, do you know that even then the right answer is to take this cup and give thanks for it and then share it with other people?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I would say, yeah, my knee-jerk reaction is, yeah,
1: I know that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's my evidence. We have we have this story, facts maybe evidence yeah. yes. Huh. You have this pattern. You got something really deep and precious in that pattern that I think when you go to church and you just memorize the facts and you pass out the tracks and you say the sinner's prayer and good you believe right believe air quotes yeah dude you missed you missed that was all a vehicle for something really really valuable and you uh, just overlooked the whole thing okay what I want to tell to your audience is. As you raise kids who might even be like me, and I'm sure in this day and age you might worry, oh no, what is their faith going to look like? Mm -hmm. I would challenge you, show them the pattern within the story and make them fall in love with that. That's way more powerful, I feel, than simply memorizing some bible passages there's Uh, something precious i would say christians your religion is way cooler than society tells you take it from a non-christian there is some intense (laughs) sophisticated psychology at work here don't ignore it you're carrying a thousands-year-old mental tradition emotional tradition spiritual tradition physical tradition jung said catholicism was the best course of action for your average western man taking leaving all the variables aside. chesterton said something similar and I think Catholicism is interesting because it has ritual and it has symbol. There's this mit- this mysterious, like, no, you're going to do the thing. You're going to do it again. You're going to look at these, like, saints and these pictures, and you're kind of like, nah, but it's just faith, right? No, there's something to the ritual, the pattern, the I, I tradition. do think the
0: Catholics do a great job of emphasizing the practice of things and engaging the senses yes. that a lot of us Protestants lack although there's some theological opinions I have that I uh, are even convictions where I'd be like ah, I can't be a Catholic for ABC uh, I would say like I love and respect many Catholics who are sincere sincerely devoted to Christ and truly believe he's their only hope but they engage in some of these practices some of them I can't get on board with but I uh, Others I very much can, and I see the the way that their their whole self, you know, not just a cognitive belief that they call faith, is oh yeah, I believe Jesus died for my sins, and you know, they're like they're they're practicing things with their body, with their words, their vocabulary, their liturgy. Their, you can smell it, you can feel it, you can see it, the artwork, and it's like I, I admire that. I wish some of us Protestants would practice and engage more with our whole selves in that. So yeah. uh, I, I do have a deep respect for many Catholic authors and writers and even close friends and family of mine. Yeah, you're right on with with there's, there's something to be admired
1: there. Catch these symbols, find this awe, see the pattern, yeah. love what's hidden within. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the blessing. So, Adam, this was a joy, man.
0: Thanks a bunch. Dude. Ethan, I'm going to keep praying that God reveals himself to you. I love the journey you've been on. Thanks for just your honesty and sharing it. And I hope to, for our audience, this has been a great way of like, there's obviously, there's some people who are, you know, not willing to engage in conversation, but for those in our lives, you Christians out there who are willing, you have people in your life who aren't Christians, but they're willing to talk, um, I I hope we've been able to model something for people and maybe inspire people like, go have that cup of coffee, go have that bonfire chat, go have that conversation with people in your life that are like willing to talk. And they might have different convictions and beliefs and see things differently, but these conversations are awesome for me. It's super encouraging and I love you as a brother. Uh, You're an amazing husband, amazing father. And we'll have to have you back on the podcast because I think you have more to say to the guys out there, especially with like, just, okay, what does this mean? How do I put it into practice? Because what what we didn't really highlight is how disciplined your life is, how committed you are to your family, to your own health, to certain habits, to your son, and to your work, to people in your neighborhood even. Just the intentionality with which you live is really, really admirable. I want to Have you on probably in a few months to highlight some more of those things. So thanks, bro. I love you, man.
1: Hey, love you too. It would be a treat.
0: See you guys next time on Forging the Path.